Makers of Sport Podcast, episode 82, with Sean Callanan. And welcome to episode 82 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. If you are curious about the skip and sequence numbers from the last episode, that's because the halftime episodes, which are the odd numbers, are now for community members only. If that does interest you, you can join the community where you'll get future halftime episodes along with their transcriptions access to live Q&As with future former and special guests, monthly Google Hangouts, and an invite to the Slack chat where there are quite a few of us in there having fun as you're listening to this. Again, that's at makersofsport.com slash community. Today, we're shaking things up just a little bit and doing something different than our typical interview episode. This is the first ever crossover episode that Makers of Sport has done. So what is a crossover episode? Well, it's when two podcasts get together for an episode and each share that episode with their own intros, branding, show bumpers, and such on their own networks. Today is actually a two-part interview with the first part being me interviewing my guest and the second part being my guest interviewing me. More on that later though. For today's episode's business, I'm very happy to welcome fellow podcaster and sports digital veteran, Sean Callanan of Sports Geek to the Makers of Sport podcast. Sean is a digital marketer and podcaster from Australia where he works with teams around the globe to develop fan engagement and sponsorship strategies under his sports digital consulting firm, Sports Geek. In addition to Sports Geek, Sean is a keynote speaker on the topic of digital marketing in sports and is on the steering committee for the SEAT conference, which stands for Sports and Entertainment Alliance and Technology. It's a boutique sports and entertainment conference that has been held in multiple cities in the U.S., as well as London. Welcome to the show, Sean. Glad we're finally able to catch up uh, after your globe-hopping adventures and my own travel. Uh, thank you very much, Adam. Glad to, glad to be on the podcast. Have you, have you caught up on your sleep? <laughs> Um, I actually, uh, I actually prefer to use the the hashtag that the, uh, the the guys at the Australian Open use when they're doing the punishing schedule of a 14, 14 day tournament. They use the hashtag "sleep is for the week." And uh, <laughs> when I, when I'm travelling, um, I sort of use that as a moniker. And and uh, and the Fitbit don't, doesn't lie. Uh, I think uh, for the three weeks, I was averaging about four or five hours sleep as I was burning the candle at both ends, uh, networking early in the morning and uh, late at night, but it's all, it's all worth it in the long run. Right, right. And we'll definitely, I definitely want to get into some of your adventures. Uh, but first, I, I was reading your LinkedIn profile as I typically do when I research podcast guests. And you actually have quite an extensive career even before the launch of Sports Geek. So why don't you take this opportunity just to give listeners a little bit about your background and what led you into the sports industry and maybe more specifically the digital side of it? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So my usual line is: before I was sports geek, I was a regular geek. Um, so I was a coder, coder and developer for uh, nearly fifteen years. Sort of working in multiple industries. Um, sort of working on back end of systems, or or in some cases as the web 
uh, grew uh, working on the front end and then sort of developing uh, and and managing development teams. Um, but all along, I was always a sports fan um, and and a frustrated one when it came to what was being delivered from a from a digital perspective. Uh, so I had the I had the knowledge of how systems were being built uh, for for corporates, whether it be you know large large ga- gaming or utility companies, and how they were, I guess, looking at things from a data point of view. Um, and then I was just looking at the websites, uh, the email communications, the way that uh, uh, teams were uh, communicating with their fans. And I, I thought there was a better solution there and, and sort of some of the systems that could be in place that uh, big corporates were using. I think sport, I thought sports could have taken taken advantage of. And, and then... Uh, Seven, yeah, nearly uh, a little bit over seven years ago, um, I finished up my last uh, official uh, IT job, and I sort of started think. Uh, I started Sports Geek thinking that I would be sort of doing that same role, being a developer, um, sort of IT consultant, uh, someone that could pull together systems, uh, help pick vendors, that kind of thing, um, and that's what I thought my role would be um, because I had a lot of experience in that space around managing databases and and a little bit of CRM and that type of thing. Um, but then the whole digital, sports digital explosion sort of happened with with social media. So teams were starting to starting to use Facebook and trying to understand how they could use that. Uh, Twitter was was starting to gain traction in the in the sports world. Um, and I sort of found myself in that space. And I think my I guess my geek heritage helped me in that space in that I sort of understood uh, the, the code that was happening behind the scenes to sort of see how things were being built, why why certain tactics would work and why they wouldn't work. So I thought it, give, it gave me a little bit of an advantage. So I started Sports Geek by, you know, being being at the bleeding edge of all things social media and and starting to teach teams and and leagues how they could use that to to better engage their fans. And um, and I'm really proud that. I guess the whole sports digital scene um, and and the departments that have grown uh, out of out of that, um, I've helped grow, um, helped build up teams. I, I do joke that when I started Sports Geek, teams had uh, had one person managing their website that usually had the title webmaster, um, and now they've got fully fledged you know digital media teams. They're effectively digital media organisations that are servicing you know uh, thousands, if not millions. Of of fans around the world, um, and those teams were sort of born out of that, out of that period when I started Sports Geek. So it was sort of right place, right time, and sort of having the right skill set to sort of understand, understand the technology and how it could be used to connect fans. Very cool. So what what about? I mean, you you essentially used to get your hands dirty writing code, and then you you now have moved into developing strategies, and obviously a little more on the marketing side. So I'm curious, what was that transition like for you? I mean, mentally, because you know you're essentially going from building and creating products to now you're helping others build strategies. Yeah, I guess I've always like my first my first job out of out of university was a was a trainer. I was a trainer helping uh, teaching people how to code. Um, my dad is a teacher. He's been a he was a school teacher his whole uh, working life, and so I think I've got a bit of that. Uh, teaching uh, gene in me, um, and I think it was pretty unique for a geek uh, to be able to talk to people. Um, most geeks get locked away in a darkened room and code away. I was never that geek. I was always the geek that was talking to 
talking to the business and trying to help them with their solution. Um, so I was really good at that 30,000 foot view of what the situation was. Um, so I think it's that set me up to talk that strategy piece. Um, and then the other piece that sort of set me up for that is I just read everything and connected with everyone that I could to widen my knowledge. So, um, you know, one of the reasons I think one of the reasons of my success, I, I believe, is is I've, I hung, I've hung around with a lot of smart people and I've talked to a lot of smart pe- people um, and, you know, that rubs off. Uh, so both their knowledge and their their case studies and what they've learnt, um, what I did was a lot of telling other people what other people learnt and, you know, that was sort of now positions me in ability to, you know, provide strategy because I can talk to someone and, during the conversation, I can then cite what Arsenal are doing on on this particular thing, or I can talk about you know what the Trailblazers are doing uh, behind the scenes because one, I'm putting in the putting in the work to know these people and what they're doing, and so I can sort of leverage those those case studies. So for me, it's all been about building those relationships and and building the knowledge base, so I can pull on that at any time um, and apply it to the right to the right situations. So I think that's been my my, my best skill um, in sort of making those connections of here's what's happening in all parts of the world. And that was one of the things I did really early on. Um, you know, we talked about travel. I, I, I've traveled a fair bit to make the effort to go and meet people, uh, find out what they're doing, and then effectively take that knowledge back and uh, use it effectively with my clients. I love how you use Arsenal as an example. They're actually <laughs> about to play the MLS All-Stars here in about... 40 minutes our time over here stateside. <laughs> yeah, I, I was considering extending my say because I'm an Arsenal I'm an Arsenal man and uh-huh. uh, Rich Rich Clark who um, who's a good mate of mine was the uh, the head editor of of all things Arsenal and Arsenal Digital and you know um, just by what I've been doing and via the podcast you know Rich reached out to me as a listener saying Sean I'm listening to the podcast here's some here's some notes on how you can how you can improve it, you know, or from an audio perspective and a content perspective. And it was a real, it was a real light bulb moment. I was like, you know, and I won't swear on your podcast, but people can understand that we're in holy hell, you know, uh, I've got the head of head of digital and all things at Arsenal listening to the podcast. Um, and, you know, and now I've developed a really good friendship with, with Rich. He's now at the, uh, at the Colorado Rapids and he's one of the smartest content guys I know. So the more of, more people like Rich that I know, um, it makes it makes the case for Sports Geek and uh, I guess my my case when I go into a team uh, far better. Well, it's it's interesting to me you you mention how he was listening to the show and and I found this too on my end where you sort of get these people that listen to the show and you're blown away because you know essentially when we were recording I don't know how uh, how many interviews you do in person I don't do a whole lot in person most of them are on Skype but. You, it's it's almost hard to think that people are listening because I'm sitting here in my office, you know, in basketball shorts and a t-shirt, <laughs> and there and and you to find ru- out that people just ruined the visual. You've just ruined the visual, Adam. <laughs> like you should be telling you're in a three piece suit. You've got an old a microphone in front of you. Um, you know, again, it's all about, it's all about painting a picture for for the people for the listeners at home. <laughs> right, right. Well, the real story will probably be on Snapchat anyway, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting thing. And and you started this podcast, so you know, essentially, when I look at your when your podcast was started, I'm, uh, it's, you started that in 2014. Is that correct? 
somewhere around yep. that around that time. Yep. So you were doing Sports Geek for uh, quite a few years before that. What was it about podcasting that sort of drew you into that business? Were you listening to a lot of shows? Were there any, were there any shows that were maybe stood out as far as just something you wanted to model after? So, so yeah. So there's a yeah. There's a bit of a story back, uh, behind that. Um, so I started Sports Geek and. One of the first things I had to do was to tell people, "Hey, everybody, you need a sports geek," um, because it didn't. It wasn't a role that existed. Right. It wasn't sports digital consultants. There wasn't people. There wasn't you know people didn't think you needed someone to be trained on social media. Um, so I did it. The it sounds silly. I did it the traditional uh, route of of blogging about it and telling people what I thought and and sharing best practice and things like that. Um, and that was effective. That effectively you know got my got my profile up. Um, at the same time, I was I was doing uh, some community radio uh, with a friend of mine, um, which I found fun to do and easy to do. Um, and then I started doing some some regular radio spots on on two radio stations, both one here at the sports station here in Melbourne, and and also one um, nationally, uh, uh, the ABC. And so I was doing those regular pieces and doing some interviews, and I was putting those audio clips up on the site. And it wasn't really, you know, getting traction. And I was listening to a few podcasts. Um, um, being a basketball man, I was listening to what they were then called the Basketball Jones, some guys talking about basketball out of uh, out of Canada. Um, and I was also listening to uh, Pat Flynn, who from Smart Passive Income, who is a really good podcast. And mm-hmm. so I had this had this itch of I should start a podcast. I should start a podcast. I should start a podcast. And in 2014, I went to um, uh, I was I was in the states for a bit of a trip, and I went and caught up with the guys at the Trailblazers and the Warriors and things like that. And then I went to uh, Social Media Marketing World in San Diego, Michael Stelzner's uh, conference uh, from Social Media Examiner, and Pat Flynn was one of the speakers there, and he had a keynote that says, "Here's how to here's how to start a podcast and why you should start a podcast." It was effectively that. Um, and Pat's a you know super compelling speaker, um, you know really switched on guy. Um, he's really transparent in what he's what he's doing, um, and so he just he really just laid it all out. And I went, well, there's no excuse now. And so I started putting the podcast together, and it was really just wrapping up my radio pieces. Um, and so I was taking my two segments. I was doing a bit of intro and outro. Um, and taking my segments where we'd had a guest, and so I was organising. I was organising guests from the US to be on the on on ABC Grandstand every Saturday morning. Um, and you know, so it was. And as soon as I sort of formalised it into a, hey guys, here's a podcast. It's it's listenable. It's 30, 35 minutes. Um, there's some good insights. It, it it started becoming. You know, I started to find my my platform. Um, you know, and I joke. You know why am I a podcaster? Because I'm a terrible writer. Um, <laughs> you know, and so my medium is you know I work best when I've got a microphone, whether it's in a podcast format or you know on stage as as a keynote speaker. So I sort of sort of lent into my strengths. Um, then then the, it, it just evolved to being, well, hang on, why am I doing these short cut off interviews on radio where I've got ten minutes? I actually want to talk more and. To the to these people in a deeper format, and I just started moving it um, off the radio and doing them like you do on Skype or in person, and yeah, it just it just moved from there to the point where yeah, I don't do the radio don't do the radio spots anymore because 
you know, it, I'm getting enough traction and, and interviews and things from, from just doing the podcast. Very cool. So uh, you and I have in the past had a, had a conversation prior when we were setting up this interview and we were discussing podcasts and each of us have a podcast, but we also yep. both have a consulting business, which is the primary means of revenue uh, for each of us. And so I'm curious, how has setting up this podcast affected your business and then also, has it ever? Have you ever sort of felt like that when you're interviewing experts that you may not necessarily be coming off as an expert? Because I know that I sort of sometimes struggle with that. Um, I'll, I'll I'll tackle the first one first. Um, so the podcast is, you know, when anyone says, "Why do you do the podcast?" I go, "It's easy. I do it for my for my clients, my past clients, and my future clients. That's who I do it for. If they're listening, then I'm happy. If anyone else is listening," Um, that's cool, um, but the goal is, is that, you know, that's that's why I do it. It's you know, I unashamedly say it's a, you know, it's a lead generation tool uh, for for Sports Geek. Um, that said, uh, sometimes I do the podcasting so well, people think of me just as a podcaster, and I occasionally have to shake people and say, no, the podcast is a sideline thing. I actually work all the rest of the week with actual clients. So, <laughs> all right. Um, sometimes, you know, people go, oh, I really love your podcast. How's the podcast going? You know, are you making money from the podcast? I'm like, yes, I am because people hire me. Um, so it is, it is a strange one. And occasionally, um, it was a bit of a realization this recent trip when I caught up with a good friend of mine. He's known me for, you know, many years. Um, and he introduced me as a tech journalist and podcaster. And I had to literally stop him and slap him on the back of the head and said, Oh, that's not me. I'm, I'm very, I'm a very proud podcaster, but in in a business sense, and when I'm talking to sports teams and leagues, you know, I'm a I'm a digital strategist and a, and a digital consultant first. Um, I'm more than happy to talk to them on the podcast, um, but but it's the uh, but it's the work behind the scenes uh, with teams and leagues that uh, that pays the bills. So, and you know, that's and that's a and it is a struggle when you're running your own podcast to go. I'm pushing this content out for the good of everybody, and it's very much the Gary Vaynerchuk uh, jab 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 right hook. It's like you're giving, and this is you know giving away all this free content because I have had people say, "Why do you give away, you know, all this advice and and all all you know everything for free when people should pay for it?" Um, my answer to that is is context. Um, every piece of advice I give on the podcast, whether it be, you know, talking to a to a, to a team, it's relevant to them. It's not relevant uh, to you as a as a team and your unique proposition and what you need to do. You can get plenty of takeaways, but I can you know I can tell you now that when I'm in a room with a client discussing their problems, they get all of me and they get all the best stuff. Um, you know, there's no no holding back. So it is it is something that. Um, that is, is a constant push and pull. I'm sure it's the same for you on how much right. am I how much am I interviewing someone? Because effectively you're getting you're you're getting some brand love or some expertise just by the fact of you you're talking to them. And then the second like the second part of your question is if you can go toe to toe to some with someone, then that's that's all I look to do. I'm not looking to who's I'm not looking to get on an interview and say who's smarter. Oh, by the way, I, everyone right. knows I'm smarter. It's really about just having a really interesting conversation. And if I can, if I can engage my guest, and they go, "That was fun. I learned some things," and you know, and there's a few twists. I think the value that I provide as a as a host is 
the, the bounce back question when someone says, oh, this is how we do it, and I come back with, have you thought of this? And I'm effectively almost in the same mode as I am when I'm working because I can't, I can't turn that off, that, hey, here's an idea or have you thought of this? That's what I do. Um, and then hopefully people have that idea of, oh, you know, I now know Sean, uh, and when they call me up, that familiarity and trust is is already there. Um, so that's it. For, that's me from a podcasting point of view. As far as the, uh, I guess, getting overawed or worried about when you're going to talk to someone, um, like I, do, I never see it that way. I just see it as I'm having a conversation. You know, I'm going to let them tell their story. I want them. I want them to be the rock star. I want them to be the star. Um, and I'm there just as much as the listeners to learn. And you know, I'm not. I'm not two phased, and I'm pretty confident in my ability to, like I said before, go toe to toe with someone. So then, you know, it's a good conversation. So, yeah, I've never. I don't know if it's a if it's a, if it's an overconfidence thing or anything, but it, it's never been something that truly worries me too much. Well, I think it's a good point because if you're if you're podcasting the way that we are, I mean, if you look at someone like an Adam Carolla or someone like that, I mean, there's obviously going to be a lot of ego involved. But if you're podcasting yep. the way that you and I are, you you essentially have to throw egos out the door. And what I've found, and and it sounds like you found this as well. This is where I think there's a lot of parallels in what what you do and what I do is that eventually your audience becomes your guest, where the get, the actual guests are the people that look at you as a peer, right? And mm-hmm. you're sitting at a table as a peer as opposed to here's this lowly reporter interviewing me, <laughs> bugging me with these questions because we're not necessarily going in with this sort of, uh, and I, I tell all my guests this, I'm not here to expo- or to break news. I'm, I'm not yeah. the media, just like you said, I always correct people. Hey, like, oh, Adam's a podcaster. Adam's, the, we need to invite the quote unquote media. I'm not the media. I'm literally yep. having a conversation about design and creativity in the sports business, and I am not interested in breaking news <laughs> or or just drilling people, you know, over like some mistake they made. You're not Bob Costas or 60 Minutes. You're not trying to exactly. trip them up. Um, and yeah, I think that that is the difference. That is the medium. Um, you know, when when it is that truly backwards and forwards. I mean, I guess my my best example of that and the time when you know when there was nervousness when I was lucky enough to get Mark Cuban for for a podcast guest yeah episode 62 right episode 62 um and you can almost and I did far more preparation than I did with anybody else but then I also didn't need to because I knew Cuban's game inside and out because I'd followed him you know I'd used the joke for many years Mark Cuban's a sports geek just like me he's just got a little bit more money for now yeah (laughs) and and so so I did the interview, and if you listened and and I'd had all the background and there was people telling me what Cuban, Mark Cuban was like and things like that. And if you listen to the first ten minutes, it literally is like a the, an opening of a of a boxing bout where it was, there's a lot of feeling each other out and a few light jabs to get him to get him going because his guard was up. he He thought he was in a media interview. He thought he was yeah, gonna get stitched up. and then, it took about five or six minutes and then he's like, oh, this is okay. I'm enjoying this. And then it was just like, let's just keep throwing punches until we stop. Right. Um, and, you know, that's probably where a lot of my confidence comes. If I can do that with Mark Cuban, I'm happy to do it with anybody. Um, and, you know, and sometimes you'll get a guest that's on that's actually the nervous one. That They'll be the one that, oh, I've never done this. Um, 
you know, I'm I'm not confident, you know, I'm worried about this. I'm like, yes, but you've been on the phone before. You've spoken to someone in the phone or you've spoken to someone in a hall at a conference. That's what a podcast is. So it's it's being able to take, you know, the guest that could be terribly intimidating to the guest that's terribly uh, uh, nervous and try to find a happy medium between those two. Right. Now, there is a little bit of a story with that Mark Cuban interview as well. You had to be quite persistent in order to even land him. Is that correct? Um, yes, yes. I mean, um, you know, if I, go, if, I, if I go way back, like when I did my first trip to the States in, in 2010, um, I, I went to Los Angeles, Dallas, and New York, and I tried to get Cuban then when I was like, when Sports Geek was in its infancy, when I was counting Sports Geek in weeks, like I was still in my first year. Um, so I blogged that I was going to do all these things to get a photo with a championship trophy, go to go to a game, all of these things. I did a lot of them and I put Mark Cuban on the list, say I'm going to shoot hoops and chat with Mark Cuban. Um, I eventually got his, I tried all the different emails, got his email and he replied back to me in 2010 saying, sorry, I don't meet people during the season, have fun on your trip. And I'm like, oh, that was pretty chuffed, just starting out my business and and uh, getting a reply from a billionaire. Um, but then fast forward four years and Mark was using, and I would always followed what Mark was doing and and those kinds of things. He's, he was promoting his app Cyberdust. I was, you know, testing it out, seeing what it was like. Um, Cyberdust, if you don't know, it's a more secure Snapchat messaging platform. And so Mark's really big on secure and not getting quoted out of context and those kind of things. And so I was able to, you know, short, long story short, I was able to get him via, via uh, Cyberdust because I knew it was a new platform. I knew not many people were on there. I, I poked him with the, right, with the right message that got him into a conversation. And then as I was having a conversation with him on Cyberdust, I sort of started priming all my friends on Twitter and I sort of threw out this, what do people think about Cyberdust tweet out there? And so then a few of my friends were going backwards and forwards with me and Mark Cuban came over the top and started correcting us on Twitter because he was obviously checking, checking me out and checking my presence out. Right, and then I look back and look back on Cyberdust. He says, "Yeah, sure, let's set it up. Here's my email," um, and I had his email already. I could have emailed him any time. Yeah, um, but you know, and the, the fact of that he's say, looking for it now, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, the fact that you know, people now, you know, since go, oh, can you connect me with Mark Cuban? I'm like, here you go. Here's his email. Go for your life. Because <laughs> um, his email is available. It's it's not about can you get access to him. Right. It's about can you get access to him with an offer that makes sense to him now. You know, I got him in to promote his a couple of his startups, but once I've got him in, once I had him in, you know, I was able to talk to him about anything. So, you know, it was more about I wasn't going to waste my, I guess, my chance of emailing him every year saying, hey, Mark, I'm coming, because I know that it just becomes annoying. Um, so I wanted to make sure and, you know, and it, and it did help pointing Mark to, here's, here's my guest list. And I had Richard Clark from Arsenal and I had had the Portland Trailblazers and I had the Boston Celtics and I had the New York Jets. You know, it, it helped when he went, oh, this is, this is a real thing. I'll talk to these people because they're in, they're, they're, that's why I want to do it. So um, I didn't go too early. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was my, my, uh, my most fun podcasting. That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I remember listening to that one. That might have actually been the first sports geek that I listened to. Uh, that may have been how I discovered you, actually. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember some of this story and, and just thinking intrinsically myself, 
just how nervous I think I would be if I was interviewing Mark Cuban because you just see how he interacts on uh, on yep. like Shark Tank and all these places, and he can uh, you know I mean he can be pretty uh, pretty hard on people. <laughs> well, I think, and that's the feedback that I'd got that he was you know a lot of people would say said to me, "Oh, Cuban's and you know he's an a hole," um, and and I think from my interaction with him, I think he just doesn't suffer fools. Yeah. Because I think he has so many people come up to him. He has to have that, you know, he has to have that idiot detector up to go. No, I don't. I can't waste my time with you. So you've got to get past that. And if you're not a fool, then he's more than happy to have a conversation. So yeah, well, and it's actually interesting that you say that too, because I think that he actually brings that mentality um, even to people that aren't necessarily fools. Do you watch? Uh, have you watched Bill Simmons' new HBO show at all? I've watched bits. I was lucky enough to watch bits and pieces, but we don't get it over in Australia yet. Okay. But I saw a bit of it while I was in the States. Yeah, so uh, uh, Mark Cuban was on there with Malcolm Gladwell, and yeah. they were they were kind of having an interesting little back and forth <laughs> a little bit, which uh, which uh, got a little little contentious. And that's the thing. He wants to go. He he, he likes that uh, thrust and parry of, a, of an argument. So you just got to be really ready to go there. Right. And if you if you're going to do it, you've got to back it up. Otherwise. Yeah, he will just step all over you, and um, you know he's just a big bully. Uh, in in when it when it all said and done, but it's that's work for him. That's his. That's the way he's. That's his persona. Right. Well, speaking of the states, you we, we mentioned earlier you've been over here the last couple of weeks. You attended two conferences while you were here. While you were here, podcast movement and the seat conference, which I talked about in, in the beginning of the show. I'm curious, starting with podcast movement. Can you tell us uh, just a little bit uh, about that experience? And are there any nuggets that you sort of were able to glean from the speakers or the attendees there as far as the future of podcasting? Yeah, um, I really, I really enjoyed podcast movement. Um, you know, Jared, uh, Jared Easley and and the guys behind it ran a really good conference. Um, it was, and there was really there was uh, there was still, and I, I sort of read the reports of previous ones. There still is these sort of two camps um they weren't they weren't like rival tribes but almost um so there was the this american life npr gimlet media uh, sort of public radio people migrating to podcasting that have been having success and there was that space um and then there was the internet marketer um build out build out your business build your business with podcasts build out your lists kind of um, sort of space, the John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneurs on Fire type of camp. So they were pretty much on other sides of the room. Now, I sort of float between both of those because I, I'm a massive listener of a lot of the stuff, you know, uh, from Gimlet and, you know, what are some of the things that are coming out of Radiotopia and those kind of things that are more in that pure narrative, um, you know, audio as an art form, all of that kind of stuff. And so there is that very much, you know, um, but I also see the other side of, well, if you're in a business, businesses have to make money. How do you go about making money? Um, which is where the other side of it come, you know, and sometimes they go too far, uh, in my opinion, you know, pay us $20,000 and we'll teach you how to podcast. It's like, well, just look it up on the internet. You don't need to pay $20,000. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, that, you know, but, but there are valuable services on the, on that side of the equation. So, you know, and, you know, I, I think, you know, I do it, um, you know, you do it with your company, you know, it is a, it is a marketing tool. Um, but as far as, 
you know, the industry. I think it's, you know, very, uh, it's in a good position. It's position, you know, it's just at the start. It's still, you know, it's still at the start of the journey, even though you've got guys like um, Kevin Smith of Clerks fame. Um, I've never been a massive Kevin Smith fan, um, but he was one of the keynote speakers um, at Podcast Movement and he was an amazing speaker. Um, I think he had the most F-bombs in the 90-minute set that I've ever heard <laughs> on, a, on a keynote stage. But the, I guess the story he told of podcasting, why he got started, how it became the thing for him, um, and how he how he focused on being a creative first and worrying about the monetization of it second was was really good. Um, so and then you know again all the other parts were, were the conversations of how people are using podcasts, what they're using it for, um, how they're getting traction, that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I I'm I really enjoyed it. Um, I most likely will be back next year in I think it's in Anaheim um, because it really it's. In the same way that I said I found podcasting, it's my platform. I was very much amongst, amongst friends. I found my tribe. Um, everyone, you know, is trying to solve the same things, um, and and it does work for their their specific uh, niche. Um, even though everyone over there was saying niche, I'm like, it's niche people. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, so it, yeah, it was yeah really valuable. Some real, met some really good people um, and some really smart people that were, were presenting. Um, so yeah, it was yeah, real, a lot of fun. Chicago is a great city and, um, yeah, really, really had a great time. Very cool. Well, let's talk just a little bit about seat before we wrap up, uh, explain what seat is, what your role is with it. I think it's something that the design audience that, uh, the creative audience that listens to this, um, this podcast would actually get some benefit from as well, because a lot of times designers, especially in sports, get so into their day-to-day behind the scenes that it's tough to keep up with technology. Yeah, so um, SEAT, um, as you said before, stands for Sports Entertainment Alliance and Technology, um, and it's founded and run by Christine Stoffel. So I met Christine back in 2010 when she was also speaking at a conference I spoke at, and um, she she said after I got off stage, and this was literally my first keynote, I think, in front of about 300 people, she said, oh, that was great. You should speak at my conference in Los Angeles. And I went, yeah, right. But then I fast forward to 2011 and I was doing some work with the Minnesota Timberwolves around the, the NBA draft. Um, and I was actually going to be in, in the US and in town and able to stop by. So I sort of cheekily sent an email to Christine saying, I'll be in LA Around the time seats on, do you, do you still want me to speak? And so I did. I spoke at the I spoke at the seat conference in in Los Angeles, which was then combined with the um, ALSD, which is Association of Luxury Suite Directors um, in Los Angeles. And seat at that time was primarily for CTOs and CIOs. So really, it was super geeky. Um, all the guys talking about how do we get Wi-Fi into stadiums? What technology should we run? Um, and myself and good friend of mine, Shane Harmon, who was uh, a marketer at then for the uh, Rugby World Cup, um, we were the only marketers in the room. So we were starting to talk about this is what's happening, guys. This is where Facebook's going. This is what fans want to do in stadiums. They need Wi-Fi because they can't get onto the internet. Um, and so then post that conference, um, I was speaking to Christine and said, I love the geeks, but it's they're not, again, they're not my... They're not my area of expertise. Um, I, I work in the digital space, but I think 
there should be a digital track for seat and I think there should be a CRM track for seat because it sort of hits that trifecta of what sports is. Um, you need the technology so fans can get onto the internet and do the activations, whether they be digital or brand activations around the stadium. And then the digital guys and definitely the design guys as part of that, they get to, des- they get to design all the cool parts of these activations. And then you've got your, then you've got your data geeks, the CRM team in the background, slicing and dicing with their uh, Ginsu knives, um, all the data that you can get. So from, uh, from 2012 onwards, we've sort of, uh, sort of driven those three tracks. And so I've sort of worked both, um, in behind the scenes with the digital track to sort of help steer, uh, both the agenda and, and the speakers speaking lineup, um, and be lucky enough to host some panels and do some keynotes, um, along the way. So this year was in Las Vegas, uh, which is a crazy town, uh, and there was around 900 sports executives talking on all things uh, digital, CRM, the latest in technology, uh, that kind of thing. Um, the 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 uh, contents uh, one side of the equation, but the other side is the is the catching up and the conversations you're having in the halls, in the bars, um, at the networking events, which is where I find a lot of the a lot of the great value. You know, doing things like you know playing top golf with Peter Sorkoff, who's the creative and brand director for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, you know, if you've followed anything that they've done over the past couple of years with their complete you know brand re- rework of the Atlanta Hawks, one of the smartest guys uh, in the brand space. Uh, to you know, sitting down with Dwayne Hankins, who runs all things at the uh, Trailblazers, or Aaron Lavelli, who runs strategy for. AEG, which is across the Kings and the LA Galaxy, so it's it's those kind of conversations that you know. Part of the podcaster in me goes, I should have recorded everything, and then the other part of me goes, I had a beer in my other hand, maybe I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> right. But but yeah, that's the real value part for seat that you make really strong connections with these with these people that um, the, that it's up to you to continue the I guess the year round. Yeah, and I totally agree as far as the value of conferences being the reading in between the lines, essentially, all of the things that happen outside of the actual talks. Well, to uh, kind of keep this thing moving, we, again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are actually, this is a two-part interview. So this, this, part, this part of the conversation is on Makers of Sport, and then the very next part of the conversation is going to be on Sports Geek Podcast. Real quick, Sean, I do want to get your thoughts on Snapchat. It recently has, you know, was, was published that it had more users than Twitter. And uh, I, I know you use it a lot. I follow you on there. Uh, I've been trying to use it a lot more, especially since I got back from South by Southwest. You know, I almost think it takes a big event for you to really, uh, us us guys that aren't, you know, 21 years old to understand don't how to say, use the thing. Don't say you're old, Adam. Don't say you're old. As long as you're using Snapchat, it's like the fountain of youth. Like if you're using Snapchat, you're fish, effectively you hand in your old guy card. It is, it is. Are, are there any brands or athletes or sports teams or, or even podcasts that you, you think are using it in, a, in an interesting way? Um, I think there's a few. I think the main thing with Snapchat, um, you know, and it is where, you know, it is you sort of go to where the people are going. Um, you know, that's that's the fear for, for Twitter, um, that a lot of the athletes are moving to Snapchat. And, and I think... The, the way that I describe Snapchat to, to people who don't get it, uh, Snapchat One is the only social network that tells tells your story sequentially. 
um, every other every other social network t- tells your story backwards, right? You go on Instagram, there's the last photo. You go on a Facebook, well, normally they jumble it up anyway. Um, you go to Twitter, there's the last tweet, right? So you have to effectively consume everything backwards, which is not the way we've consumed every other story. Whereas Snapchat tells that story, you know, in the correct manner, you know, from from start to end. So what I'm trying to teach teams and and athletes is to tell a little bit of a story of if you're going to tune into someone's Snapchat story, then make it make it a story. And for then for people who don't get it, and the example that I use on stage is imagine if Ferris Bueller had a Snapchat. That would be one epic Snapchat story, his right. day off. Um, and then people go, oh, okay, I get it. Um, and so, you know, early on, like I think you can go back into my archives. I think both myself and Rich Clark at Arsenal were both sounding like cranky old men saying Snapchat's not worth it before they before they pivoted and, and opened up that Snapchat story side of things because it was a game changer because before right. then it was just a it was just a messaging platform and it still is like 90% of the content on Snapchat is messages but the thing is fans from a sports point of view want to show off and brag about where they are yes they can do it with Instagram but they can share a real personal story about themselves when you know when they're at the game and so I think the stuff that Snapchat's doing around collating stories around a game is really, really valuable. Um, I think the other side of it that's really valuable is the fact that they've come to sports teams with money in hand saying, hey, we're going to pay you for your content or we're going to rev share it with you um, with the deals that they've done with like the NCAA and, and the Super Bowl. And I think that that, mi- that minor little, little payment and that minor little gesture has has triggered both Twitter and Facebook to stop being freeloaders of the world of sport. And so you're seeing now Twitter pony up big dough to uh, to the NFL and and doing a lot of deals with sports and Facebook is do, is doing the same with their Facebook live product. So it's all good from a it's all good from a sports point of view and you know you really can't ignore Snapchat because that's where that's where the the millennials are the the ever elusive millennials uh, that can't be nabbed. Um, it's all you know they're, they're using Snapchat, so you've just got to realise how do we get our story in there, and how do we enable our fans to use that as a platform? Right, definitely agree, and I also think that people just they, they love the behind the scenes, uh, the the little snackable bits of content. Yep, but for mine, it's not only that; it's also, and I think this, you know, can you can you drive your fans to to action? Can you get them to do things? So there's there's the content piece and that passive, hey, I'm producing content. But the the piece of the puzzle at the minute with Snapchat is, well, how do we you know how do we monetize it? And the easy way is, you know, we'll we'll start running ads or we'll do snaps about our sponsors. But if you could drive people, like if you can do things like, hey, everybody, go into our store or you know uh, take a screenshot of this code and go to our online store. Like you can start training your fans to do that and and make sales from it. Then, then it's you know then it's an absolute no brainer because uh, yeah they're always going to want the content, um, but you know the higher ups are always going to say why are we doing it? Where's the money? So always I'm always thinking of how do how do we make money out of this um, going forward and sort of working on innovative ways to do that. Very cool. Well, listen, Sean, why don't you real quick give my listeners. Uh, your social handles, where people can find you online, where they can download the podcast and that type of thing. 
Uh, yes, so they can find me um, on most platforms as Sean Callanan. That's S E A N C A L L A N A N. Um, Sports Geek is available at sportsgeekhq.com. Uh, Sports Geek podcast is available on most podcast platforms. And if it's not, um, tell me about it. Um, although I did put in a lot of work to get it on the Windows phone, and now it looks like the Windows phone doesn't exist anymore. Um, so, <laughs> is it yeah, on Spotify? I don't know. Spotify is really hard to get into, I've heard, (laughs) from a podcasting perspective. Yeah, it's not on Spotify. It's probably not on Google Play. Um, But I always promote, um, I'm a big fan of Pocket Cast app. Mm -hmm. Um, It's available on iOS and Android. It's on those. Um, So, I mean, the thing is, if people want to get it, it's it's available enough places for them to get it. Um, And as always, if you... If you can't find it, yeah, send send me a tweet or hit me up on Facebook or send me a snap. I'm on most platforms, um, and uh, and and go from there. Very cool. Well, Sean, I appreciate your time, and I want to encourage all of you listeners to check out the this continued conversation on Sean's podcast, SportsGeekHQ.com, is like he said where you can find that. My next guest is going to be Ross Yoshida. Ross is the Director of Graphic Design for the Los Angeles Dodgers and a longtime vocal member of the sports design community. In addition, Ross is on the board for Major Level Creative Connect or MLC Connect, the one and only sports design conference for designers working in professional, amateur, or NCAA Division I athletics. If you listen to this show and you are interested in sports design, then you should definitely know Ross. We were originally going to do his interview in person at MLC Connect 2016 in Houston, which we both just got back from, but the conference just got the best of us, so instead of putting pressure on ourselves to squeeze something in between all the great events, we decided to do it our usual way over Skype. In the meantime, you can follow Ross on Twitter at RYDesignLA, or if you're feeling snarky, you can follow his satirical account at LADesignGuy. Big thanks again to Sean Callanan of Sports Geek for taking time to come aboard and agreeing to do the crossover episode. Again, to hear the second part of this episode, you'll want to head over to sportsgeek.com slash SGP and be sure to subscribe to the Sports Geek podcast. You can also follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Callanan and at Sports Geek. If you're interested in hearing more Makers of Sport episodes, then head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out the previous interviews or listen to the original halftime episodes where I discuss things like business, entrepreneurship, and freelance in the sports industry. As mentioned briefly at the beginning of the podcast, halftime episodes since episode 65 are available to paid community members only. If you want to support the podcast, you can join the community at makersofsport.com slash community, where you will get future halftime episodes and their transcriptions, private Q&As with future former and special guests, monthly Google Hangouts, and an invite to the live chat. All community content is recorded and available anytime you join, including the Q&As. I can't emphasize this community enough for you guys. It's truly grown to be something I never thought would happen. Typically, when people join, they're blown away by the amount of content and high-quality conversation on the community Slack chat. We have members from NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL teams, as well as high-profile college athletics programs, and even people from consumer brands such as Adidas and New Balance, not to mention the numerous freelancers, entrepreneurs, and agency side folks in there. 
We've got some cool stuff planned where members are taking over Snapchat, including today's Snapchat takeover, community member Megan Majera, a graphic designer of the Indianapolis Colts, gave us a behind-the-scenes view of designer life at training camp. Now, obviously, those will disappear after 24 hours, but be sure to follow Makers of Sport on Snapchat to see future takeovers. I want to reiterate, the podcast is listener-supported and not sponsor-supported. You'll never hear a 30-second mattress ad or anything of the like on this show. So if you get value from the content coming from this podcast and its outlets on social media, email newsletters, or any other areas, then please consider supporting the show for yourself. I ask that you vote with your hard-earned dollars to support this content. If you give up just five Starbucks coffees per month, then you can put that money into joining the podcast. Essentially, listening to these interviews is like having a great coffee conversation with the guest anyway. If you do join, as mentioned, in exchange, you get access to premium content and get to interact with a great network of like-minded creatives in the sports industry. If that's not for you at this particular moment, then have no fear. The interview episodes of Makers of Sport will always be free. And you can support the podcast by leaving reviews, retweeting, and sharing the show or signing up for the email newsletter. That newsletter includes Weekend Reads, which is a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share the things I'm reading, things that I find interesting or inspire me for the week. In addition, on that list, you'll be notified in advance of upcoming guests and get podcast show notes delivered right to your inbox. Makersofsport.com slash email is where you can enter your email address and stay in touch with the happenings of this podcast and its future. To review the show, take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. Hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. If you've gotten value from myself or any of the guests on the show, then please share that podcast and rate that content so that others can discover that value for themselves as well. As always, I'll accept likes or ratings in Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast application you enjoy listening in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and pretty much all social media. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.